Many years ago, the McConco family living up north had a time at, uh, that their family was going to gather. The problem was they were several states away, and this was in a time of travel where the best way was by train. So this family bought tickets, got on the train, and began a journey from uh, the Midwest, upper northern Midwest, tra- traveled down into the south, and were heading towards their family gathering. And when they were pulling up on some an area of the region, in the southern states, uh, they were kind of busy doing their thing, and the mother looked out the window and was amazed, and she quickly grabbed her husband's attention and pointed at the window, and then they got all the kids and looked, and outside the window was a sea of white and pink. It was a part of the region where it was a huge peach orchard, and that time of the year, it was in full bloom, and there was said in that area there was over 100,000 peach trees. And they just, even the kids were amazed, and they watched as the train was driving around that huge amount of land and property. Uh, and as it went around to the other side, they hit where the wind was blowing through that orchard. And as it, the tra- train into that path of that wind, it filled the train car with the aroma of that orchard. And so then they smelled and they saw beauty. Now, if the train had come three months earlier, it would have been a very different look. It would have been gray and gloom, and it had been gnarled, leafless branches jutting out in all different directions. But as we know, inside those peach trees was the hope of life, and it springs forth uh, each season in the spring. Same for us as believers. We have hope and joy in Christ Jesus. Amen? Paul tells us, Colossians 1:27, Christ in us, the hope the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that in this moment, uh, as we unpack the word, that you will just continue to move in our hearts, that you'll encourage us, that you'll convict us, that you'll draw us towards you. And uh, Lord, that we can give glory to you. The great beauty of that day when there was an empty tomb on Sunday. So Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take us back uh, to basically the last week, and before we jump to and celebrate the resurrection, I want to go, and this is where we ended up last week as we're working through the gospel of Matthew, and we're Matthew 20, and this is the prediction, Jesus' third time according to Matthew that he recorded, Jesus' third prediction of his death, and it's here in Matthew 20, uh, 17 to 19. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will rise, he will be raised. So it's the third time. Now, as Luciana just shared with us, the first time that he said this, 
And we see that if we go back into Matthew 16. And Matthew 16, 16 is when, right before that prediction, when, when Simon says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that moment for Peter, for the disciples, they now know this man that we have been with, that we've seen some incredible things, is the Messiah. And now that they understand that, Jesus proceeds to, to tell them something that they are, he's ready for them to now hear. And that's the prediction of his death. We see a couple of verses later in Matthew 16 there. He says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside. Can you picture that? Peter, like, come here, Jesus, and pull him over. Took him aside and began to rebuke him. And he said, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. So they get this message, and that's, that's Simon's response. He's like, wait, what? No way. And he pulls him aside. Now, of course, the enemy, if we go back to the temptation in the wilderness, the enemy of God is tempting Jesus, and every time he does, Jesus responds with Scripture. And then finally, the, the enemy has to leave him because Jesus is not going to turn away from his, God's plan there, and, and so he leaves him in the wilderness, and, and then Jesus begins his public ministry. But I wonder in this moment where it's kind of that echo that the enemy wants Jesus to not follow through and not do what God's plan is. And here, Peter's actually kind of on that same plan. Don't do that, Jesus. Not you, but that's part of Jesus' plan. That's part of his purpose of being here, being among us. Second time that Jesus predicts his death is in Matthew 17, and it's in verses 22 and 23. He says, as they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of, of men, and they will kill him, and on the third day he'll be raised up. And they were deeply distressed. Now the disciples, they, they're like, okay, wait a minute. We, Jesus said this before, now we're hearing it again. So it goes from that shock to now it's like, okay, he's talking about dying again. And so it says they were deeply distressed. So they're certainly focusing on Jesus talking about the dying part. They're missing that be raised part. But that's there on the second prediction. And now we have the third prediction here in Matthew 20. While they were going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way. So they're traveling to Jerusalem, and it says they were going up. And that's where Jerusalem was, situated there on Mount Zion. And that's mentioned in 1 Samuel 5, 7, when David conquers the fortress of Zion. And it's that place. And then the temple's built there, and it goes from Mount Moriah to Mount Zion. And that's in, the, in Jesus' day, that Mount Zion was kind of all of Jerusalem. So they're going up to there. So when they go, they, their journey, it was Ephraim. They went in to Galilee, to Perea, to Jericho, to Bethany, up to Jerusalem. So that's their journey. So he takes aside the 12, okay? 
We don't know how many was traveling, but it sounds like it was more than 12, right? Because he had to take them aside privately. So here's that crowd, quite possibly men, women, I don't know, maybe even children. I don't know, but they're traveling with Jesus. And then there's a point where Jesus goes, I've got to say this in his mind. I've got to say it again. But this whole group's not quite ready for what I need to say, but my disciples need to hear it. And so somehow he pulls those 12, and I don't know if he took them off the path or asked everybody to step aside, or if he took them and they stood under a tree or on a hill, but he got those 12 aside. And I don't know if they got them real tight in, but they're all leaning in. But Jesus has got something to say to them. So I can imagine if they're traveling and just kind of, we're going to have a huddle here. And so the 12 go up and they're, you know, at this point they've, they've seen incredible things. They've heard Jesus teach. And so when Jesus speaks, you need to listen. And so they lean in. In verse 18, he says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Now, notice Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, that's a term, it appears that was one of his favorite terms to designate for himself. But we do see the Son of Man in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Matter of fact, about 89 times in the New Testament, 84, 85 of those in the Gospels. In the other four, it's twice in Revelation, once in Hebrews, once it's in Acts. But it is heavy in the Gospels, and it's heavy when Jesus is talking about himself. But we see it in Scripture. We see it, it's a poetic synonym for men or human, and we see that in Psalm 8 or in Psalm 82. Second, it's in Ezekiel, and that's how uh, God is talking uh, to addresses the prophet, son of man. And then we see it in Daniel 7, and that's when the prophet sees a glorious person coming on the clouds to appear before the ancient of days, the son of man. And then we see it in the Gospels with Jesus. And it implies, when you hear the son of man, it implies his humanity and his mission, his messianic mission, what he's come to do. So when when Jesus is the son of man, he is putting characteristics with that when he says that that are for him. And so here are a few of them, uh, and some of these are right out of the Gospel of Mark. But the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. The son of man is going to be betrayed. The Son of Man is going to rise on the third day. And the Son of Man is seated at the right hand of power. The Son of Man is coming on clouds with great power and glory. The Son of Man. So the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. So here, it's the Jews... They'll be handing him over, or somebody's going to be handing him over to the Jews, the religious leaders. And it's not identified here. Now we know from Scripture, we know who did. Um, But here he's just saying he's going to be handed over. Now he's telling them in this little huddle there on the side of the road or path, he'll be handed over. So they're thinking, you know, they've been around him for three years, and no one's been able to take Jesus captive. But here he is. He's saying that he'll be handed over. And the result of that is going to be death. They're going to be condemning him. Verse 19, they will hand him over to the Gentiles 
to be mocked, flawed, crucified, and on the third day he'll be raised. So you have the Jews that will try him and condemn him, and then you have the Gentiles that are going to crucify him. So basically, all of them have a response or are responsible for his death. And so that's the same for all of us. Humanity is responsible. We are responsible for the Son of God to go to the cross. Now, on this third prediction, Jesus kind of gives two more things that he had not told them previously. Number one, he mentions the Gentiles. It's the first time he said that. And then the second, he gives the details of his death, mocked, flogged, and crucified. And uh, for that day and age, that thinking about crucifixion was horrifying. And we know it was designed to humiliate, and it was designed to uh, be excruciating and not be quick. And if any of them, and they quite possibly had seen that or seen the remnants of a, a crucifixion, for them to think about that and to think about that with Jesus was probably just mind-blowing. And Matthew's going to play that out for us in Matthew 27, which we'll get to in a few weeks as we continue through Matthew. But here, the exalted Son of Man is going to be the suffering servant for the Lord. In um, Mark 10, 45, he said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So before we jump to the Sunday following the crucifixion, let's recap. First prediction, disciples now know that he's the Messiah, and then he talks about this be, being killed and raised up. And, of course, we saw Peter's response, no way. So it's kind of like he's saying, not on my watch, Jesus. That, and, and he's horrified. Second time, they hear it, and they've heard, okay, we've heard this teaching again, and there's just that wash of despair, and oh, no, he's talking about dying again, and there's discouragement. Now, when I, I reflect back on, on my life and my journey and, and coming to faith in the, in the 1970s as a young teenager, somewhere before that in my time of, of, of reading my children's Bible, learning about Bible stories, going to vacation Bible school, at some point, and I can't nail exactly when it was, but when I began to really wrap my heart and mind around the fact that, that someone was nailed and put on a wooden cross, and it, as I began to kind of think, what is that like? And it horrified me. And to think, what kind of pain is that? And then as I began to kind of think that through, then it became of, and it was humbling and it was, it was discouraging to think, oh my goodness, somebody had to do that. Jesus had to do that. Now, we have it, we'll pick it up as we continue through Matthew. I haven't read it today, but right after this third prediction, if you read ahead, you'll see it. What do they do after they hear this for the third time? Very, very shortly thereafter, they're what? They're thinking about the kingdom and position and power and where am I going to be in all this? And that kind of self-glory. So now they've heard this, the, they've heard it, heard it, heard it, but now they're so, it's like, yeah, yeah, we've heard that. And I don't, that's where they are. And so when I think about that, probably for maybe most, if not all of us in here, we've heard this story. 
and we hear the story of the resurrection, the crucifixion resurrection, every spring. And probably multiple times during the years, we're in the text, as we're in the Word of God. Let us not be to the point where we kind of, whoa, yep, he rose from the dead, all right, and we kind of slide into life. No, I think it's a good for us to really meditate and think upon and prayerfully be mindful of what Jesus did that Friday. Hear the Son of Man. And he came and he lived among us and he taught and he did miracles. He confirmed that he was the Messiah. And he was without sin, didn't sin in, the, in thought, in word, or action. The perfect Lamb of God. And he went to the cross. It was part of God's plan, but he went so that sinful men could be forgiven if we repent and trust Christ. God had a plan all the way back. We can see it all the way to Genesis. When in the Garden of Eden... Uh, men and women, or man and woman, chose to sin, and the and the serpent played a role in that. But they still chose. But part of that uh, address that God had for for the serpent and for the man and woman, verse three, I mean fifteen of chapter three, Genesis. I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. And you will strike his heel. So here that strike of the heel was Jesus going to the cross and many despairing and thinking Jesus is dead. But Jesus conquered death, struck the head. And he rose again three days later, that glorious Sunday morning. So man chose to sin and rebel, but God had a plan. He provided salvation through his son. So the son of man came and put on flesh and bone his humanity. And he lived the life and then he died for sinful people. His mission, the son of man. Now, for all of us, you know, when we read a good book or we see a good movie, we get excited when it's the big moment, the big reveal. And sometimes we're like, don't know, I don't, spoiler alert. And then people go, whoa, 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 I don't want to know. This Spoiler alert, he rose from the dead. Matthew records it. John does, Luke does, Mark does, all four of them, because it's the important thing. It's everything for us as Christians. Matthew 28 says it like this, and Luciani's read it just a minute ago, but let's read it again. After the Sabbath, at the first day was, of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. And the angel told the women, Don't be afraid, because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Isn't that wonderful? He is risen. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples. 
He has risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there. And listen, I have told you. Verse 8, so they, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to to tell his disciples the news. And just then, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. And Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave Galilee, and they will see me there. Jesus rose from the grave. He is just as alive today as in that moment, that Sunday morning, when he rose and walked out of that tomb. Just as alive and will be forevermore. And he promised that he will come back. And he will. So in our sin and our rebellion, and all that is before a holy, pure, timeless, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God. And that God held nothing back. He sent his only son so that we could be forgiven. We could be forgiven of all our sins and go from being an enemy to being one of God's own, one of God's sons, one of God's daughters. So we're going to put some verses on the screen. What I want us to do, we're going to read them together, and these are out of Romans. And we don't have to say like like here. We'll just read the text. We won't read the Romans 3.23, but let's read it together, um, these verses, okay? So start with me. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with a heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with a mouth resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jews and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. Amen? So most of us know the story, April 14th, 1912. It's when the Titanic hit the iceberg there in the cold, dark North Atlantic shortly before midnight. So within the first hour of that happening, most of the passengers kind of went about their their normal activities or they went back to bed or whatever, but uh, that's kind of for that time frame that initially that's, that's how they responded, even when some of the crew began to say, look, you need to get on the lifeboat. And at first, some of them were like, you're crazy. Why do that? And they're thinking, we're on this huge, luxurious ocean liner. Why get into a little wooden boat and be cast out into that dark sea? And, they, and a lot of them were like, No. And at some point, the request by the crew became demands, get in the lifeboat. And still some 
were critical and got angry and were like, how dare you ask, demand something like that of us? You see, some of these, they were trusting in their own safety, their own security, and, and what they thought they could see of the situation in spite of the words of the crew. It's the same in life. God sees it. God knows it. As people, we need forgiveness, and we need to repent and trust Christ, not trust in ourselves or in our safety or our, our homes or our money, not trust in those things, but we need to trust in Christ and Christ alone and respond. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So for me in the 1970s, after all that wrestling about the cross and Jesus having to go through that, it finally clicked for me and I repented and trusted Christ and got to be baptized and be now no longer an enemy of God, but be one of God's children. And he has been faithful ever since. Many of you have a, sh- a similar testimony. You're in the faith. You've been forgiven because of Christ, and now you're living for him. And as Casey said earlier, let us live and let us share that good news. And let's give glory to our great heavenly Father. Some of you may be here. You found yourself in here today, and it's clicking for you now. And so I would say, in effect, get in the lifeboat. Trust Christ. Repent of your sin and turn and trust him and be forgiven. And I, I would rejoice with you if you would do that. And so in just a little bit, I'm going to be up here. I know Darren will be close by. If you need to talk to somebody or you need to say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this, then and share it with somebody. And we would love to rejoice and celebrate with you and begin to walk with you in this journey. Because that's part of what we do is life together as a church family is we're doing life together in Christ until he calls us home or until he returns if we're still alive. So I'm, in just a minute, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to close with, with an illustration. Of, and, um, but I'm going to ask the, the band, if you guys will come up, and those who are going to lead us in Lord's Supper, if you'll go ahead and come up. So either side of the room, uh, we have set up for the Lord's Supper. We do this every week. And this is for us to reflect and remember what happened on Friday. And the bread represents his body broken for us. The juice represents his blood that was spilled for us so that we can be forgiven. So I want to encourage you as a believer, the next step for you in these next few moments is, is kind of working through your life, your, this past week, whatever, but walk through it. And, and if there's anything that comes to mind that the Lord says, you need to share that with me and be transparent and confess that, then do that. And what you're doing when you do that as a Christian is you're restoring your fellowship. And as you restore that fellowship and in that moment, and when you feel, okay, I've, I've confessed, my fellowship's been restored, even the sins I'm not even aware of, I've, I've confessed that. Then come and, and get some bread and juice and reflect on that Friday and give thanks to the Lord. This is for believers. 
after you do that and when you get back to your seat and you join in the singing, then reflect on Sunday and an empty grave and a risen Lord. Many years ago, England and France were at war. Wellington was leading the English. And this is back long before radios and Morse code and all this. So they would have to eat by mouth or some way signal messages. And so after the battle, they sent a sailing ship to go back to England with a message. And so as it came in up to the coast, and there's a, a man on the Winchester Cathedral roof, and he sees the ship, and he begins to look, trying to see, and he sees their flagging with the flag spelling out a message. And so he begins to take note because his mission now, once he gets the messages, he turns and begins to flag. And then that down, down the way, they receive it, and then they turn it, and it goes on and on and on until it gets to London, the message. And so as he's watching, he gets the message, takes note, he turns to do it, and he, and he spells out the word, Wellington defeated. A fog rolls in. And so the next one goes, okay, Wellington defeated, Wellington defeated, Wellington defeated, Wellington defeated, all the way to London. And when London gets the message and then the whole country is like, oh, no, we've been defeated. And fear and despair cover the land. But then the fog lifts, and the, the gentleman on the west, um, on the cathedral, Winchester, I think that's what, he, he begins to signal. And the guy's looking, and he goes, oh, we still signal? And he watches, and then he sees. It says, Wellington defeated the enemy. Folks, the fog is on Saturday, but it lifts. Jesus defeated the enemy. Let's stand together. Oh God, we give our humble thanks to you for sending your only son. And that Jesus willingly went to the cross, gave his life, but hell and death were defeated by the perfect Lamb of God. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, we pray that in, in these moments that we'll reflect on our relationship, our fellowship with you. And Lord, that you would be honored, that you'd be glorified. Lord, pray that as believers, even as we celebrate in this moment, that we would leave this place and tell those that we live near, work with, go to school with, that we would point them to this wonderful, great news to be forgiven and to be in your family. So, Lord, we thank you. Pray that you'll remind us of the sacrifice as we take the Lord's Supper. And then as we stand and sing, that we celebrate the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.